Amen and good morning to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, welcome to those who are visiting. I know we have a few folks. I know that uh, Ricky and Nisa are here from uh, Puerto Rico, but more recently South Carolina. So welcome. Also, uh, Andy and Maria Epps are here from Richmond. I haven't met you yet, but there they are. Hey, yes, there they are. They exist. And Mark and Lori Haviland have just moved here from Charlotte, North Carolina. So Mark and Lori also over here. Okay. Well, welcome. Welcome to everyone. Uh, to the Blue Ridge Church, to, and welcome also to the Havilands, welcome to Charlottesville. Uh, so that's very exciting. And uh, I did add, I think I added a uh, slide in here just because Bobby put me on the spot, but he gave me a chance to show one of my favorite things, which is that thermometer that I like to make. So I think I have that in here. Uh, there it is, that thermometer. Uh, that's pretty sweet. So special contribution will go to hiring full-time campus ministers and then anything over 40000 uh, we'll go to India, uh, our, our sister churches in India. Uh, and as we collect money, the best 10 seconds of my week is to really get that little uh, animation to just go up. I think it's the most awesome thing. Uh, so we're going to show that a lot. But there's a the thermometer. Nothing to do with my lesson, but it exists. Uh, so amen for that. Um, open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be continuing on our journey through Philippians. I do want to tell a story, and it has a little bit to do with what I'm talking about today first. Uh, and the story goes like this. Um, there is a string, and the string goes uh, into a bar. And the bartender says, hey, 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 uh, we don't serve strings here. So the string says, all right. So he leaves, he goes, he kind of gets up his courage again. That's not, that's not right. I'm, I'm going to go in. So he goes back in, and the bartender says, hey, get out of here, string. We don't want strings here. We don't serve strings. So the string leaves, and he kind of asks himself what he should do. And then he has an idea, and he, he ties himself up, and he kind of tassels his hair, and he goes back in, and the guy says, hey, aren't you a string? And the string goes, no, I'm afraid not. <laughs> so in Philippians... In a, it has a little bit to do with our lesson, just enough to, for me to tell that kind of joke. But he is, in fact, afraid not. Um, so Philippians chapter 2, uh, Bobby did a great job. I listened to the uh, podcast, uh, Bobby's lesson last week. We were in, uh, in Northeast Maryland for a, an awesome campus retreat. Actually, some great news. Uh, we have a new sister in Christ, Selena Adams, uh, which is awesome. So... Uh, the campus ministry, most of the campus ministry actually spent their spring break last week. When a lot of other college students are going other places for spring break, uh, the disciples decided to go to the University of Maryland to just share their faith all week, to, to evangelize, to talk to people, to invite them to study the Bible. So that was awesome. So uh, while on that uh, campus swap, Selena decided to get baptized. So pretty awesome, pretty encouraging. Praise God. So when she comes back here this week, uh, give her a big hug. Uh, and, uh, and welcome her. Most of you guys know Selena. She's a first year at, at UVA. But Bobby did a great job preaching here on Philippians chapter 2. One of the most beautiful texts in the Bible. Uh, it's probably actually a song. The way that the, the meter works. The way that the pattern of the words works. And Philippians 1, uh, beginning there in verse 5. Uh, that Christ, who is in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But instead made himself nothing, becoming the very nature of a servant becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And then God obviously lifts him up from there to be exalted above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of those powerful things that most of the first century church actually could not read. And so the best way to disseminate the gospel, the best way to be reminded of gospel truths is through song. And so this was probably a really popular song. It could have been a song that Paul actually used to help convert these Philippians. And so it actually might have been something reminding them of their conversion, of this is who you fell in love with, this Jesus, and this is how he attained power, not by asserting it over others, not by the edge of a sword, not by violence, and not by domination, but actually by humility. And that's the Lord we serve. And it's a powerful section. In fact, it's almost too powerful because we read it and then we, we forget that it actually is serving a purpose. Paul is saying it for a reason. He's trying to get the Philippians to us to see something important. And we're just going to look at two verses today because I think it's quite enough uh, for us to deal with right now. Uh, and then Stephen's going to do a great job next week getting to the climax of the section. Really, what is this great challenge uh, that Paul is trying to bring about in his dear friends, the Philippians. And they are dear friends. And all along this book, all along the way, we get hints of how much Paul just absolutely loved these guys. They were obviously some of his best friends, some of his closest friends here in the Philippian church. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says uh, through the Holy Spirit, Therefore, my beloved friends, that's a very intimate word he uses, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're going to stop right there before we jump into the next section, which will be next week. Uh, this is probably enough, right? How'd you feel after reading that one? Um, there's a lot going on here. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, now, for a lot of us, that may make us feel uncomfortable uh, to read, and perhaps it should in some ways. Um, and it's easy in light of the beauty and the magnificence of the previous section to kind of forget what Paul's trying to do. But what he's trying to help the church see, his primary concern what Paul cares most about, even while he's in prison, even while he's got so many other things that could preoccupy his affections, he's primarily concerned with the Philippians' salvation. That is of most importance to him, is how are you doing working out your salvation? How are you doing hanging in there? And next week we'll be kind of taking the next step to because for that reason it will pertain to helping others. But for now... How are you guys doing? Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we can read this and we can feel uh, a bit, I can feel a bit like excited because uh, I like that part of the gospel. I'm a person who, who likes a challenge. Give me a challenge and I'll go do it. I'll go answer it. I'll go make it happen. Uh, I don't really like uh, the, the, the part of faith that has to do with trusting I'd rather just do it because honestly, I, I'm a prideful guy. I'm an arrogant guy. And to my shame, I'd rather trust myself at the, in those moments. And I have to fight at that every day. I have to kill that part of me. I have to allow that to be crucified. It's really pride in me. But I actually can kind of get a little excited when I see that. And some of us can get a little worried like, no, 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 you just got to trust. And there's, two, there's two, those two sides of what it is to really follow God. 
Um, this is a picture that Jenny and I took uh, in Estes Park in Colorado. It's pretty cool. What was this called? Shamrock Lake? Or what was it? You remember what it was called? Mirror Lake or something? It was called something. So Lily Lake? Something like that. She doesn't know. She doesn't remember. Uh, it wasn't my favorite lake. But we hiked to this lake, and it's quite beautiful. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about today has to do with exactly what we see here. The title of my lesson is The Harmony of Awe, Philippians 2, verse 12. Um, and so the first thing we've got to look at today, and we've got to understand, number one, the power of obedience. Obedience is incredibly important. Uh, it is a huge a- a- aspect of what it means to really be saved. Salvation is not just something we receive, it's something we do. And that's hard because a lot of us are children of the Protestant Reformation. And we love us some Martin Luther, right? Faith alone. Just trust. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to, no, no, it's a work. If it's a work, you, you only got to just believe. That's it. Just believe. And, and so a part of that, we can kind of, that can make us feel uncomfortable. But what Paul is driving at with the Philippians here is he's actually equating working out your own salvation is basically what? Continuing to obey. You working out your own salvation, you know what that looks like? Continual obedience. And even Paul is kind of like, listen, when I was there, you obeyed. And even when I'm not there, I'm pretty sure you still obey. I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure you still obey even when I'm not there. And that's not just Philippi. That's, that's the Blue Ridge Church as well. Many of you, right? The Pearsons, Kim Bassett, Sharon Fix, Vicki Chen, uh, you know, uh, the, the Ghouls, the Schaefers. A lot of you guys were obeying well before Jenny and I arrived here. You were already obeying. Uh, but Paul's saying, listen, whether we're there or not, no matter who your leader is, no matter what changes, just make sure you continue to obey. Make sure you continue to obey. And obedience is something that we don't necessarily, necessarily like, especially nowadays, right? And I, I get it. I, you ever, um, we really want to raise, something kind of in vogue now is to raise our kids strong and independent. Yeah. We like that idea. Now, I get, I get the heart of that. I get the reason behind it. I'm not knocking the whole thing. I think kids with backbones and conviction is important. But sometimes that goes way off the deep end into just pride, arrogance, and they should only, they should only do something unless they feel like doing it. Um, and then we get kids, right, who are super entitled and only, you know, just self-focused and, and self-absorbed. And that's, that's the danger of that side. But I know that that's kind of the fear in us is, oh, I don't want to obey unless I really know why or unless I really want to. And so then sometimes we can sit around hoping for emotions to spontaneously, uh, you know, uh, uh, erupt inside of us to be able to do some great thing. And so we actually won't obey. We won't get to work until we feel like doing it. Uh, and so we just end up sitting around. C.S. Lewis has a great quote on this front. Uh, he says, uh, but though natural likings should be normally uh, encouraged, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become loving He's talking about like whether to, how to actually become loving. Uh, it would be quite wrong to think that the way to become loving is to sit trying to manufacture affectionate feelings. Some people are cold by temperament. That may be a misfortune for them, but it's not, more, not any more a sin uh, than bad digestion is a sin. Uh, it, it does not cut them out from the chance or excuse them from the duty to learn how to love. And so... What C.S. Lewis is saying is a lot of us say, well, I'm not just a very loving person. Let me sit around and hope that I start loving my neighbor. Maybe once I start to feel like it, then I'll do it. If I feel like loving, and that's actually kind of the bedrock of the idea. It's quite a shaky bedrock, um, if I'm able to be you know, tongue-in-cheek about it, of love today. Is it is like self-focused. It is, I will only love you if I feel like it. Yeah. I feel like loving this, 
gender, so I'll do it. I feel like loving this person, so I'll do it. But when I stop feeling that way, it's over. It's done. Uh, my feelings will, will rule me. They'll guide me. They, they ride the train. So obedience is, is gone. It's out the window. Even though, you know, the word obey is not a word that necessarily inspires a lot of us, perhaps. Uh, obedience was something in my family that I remember very well. If I can remember any word out of my parents' mouth, it's, it's both their faces and then maybe them saying, obey. Uh, my dad had this great uh, step. He had this look. So if we were goofing off or something and he was fellowshipping at church, my dad's like a champion fellowshipper. He would fellowship till like 1 p.m., 2 p.m. And my brother and I are like, can we go home? We sit in the car like, can we please go home? But if we interrupted, my dad would say, he would say, be patient. And then we'd, we'd be patient for about five minutes and then we'd, we'd, still, we'd still goof off. And then my dad would just look at us and just go, son? And then we knew that was, that was like the tone. It was like, oh man. And then he would just say, obey. Um, and if you did not obey, that was a big no-no for us. We knew what was coming down the pipe if we didn't obey. And it, spelled, it, it rhymed with, with a panking. Uh, that, that was pretty much what came down. And so we got a fair amount of spankings, but nothing was more grievous to mom and dad than not, obey, not obeying, obedience. And especially, I think what was helpful, not at the time because it's frustrating, but later on in life, I think it's born fruit, is to obey even when you don't know why. And it's okay it's okay to not know why. It's actually, it actually teaches that you don't have to be Lord. You don't have to be in control. But to, to obey, to submit, despite not knowing why, that's actually a great virtue. And it allows you. And we all know that restriction can bring great... Uh, uh, it actually, restriction can bring more freedom than anything else in life. And we know that, right? You're able to go 80 on a, on a highway because there are dividers between the two different... You know, uh, If there was no divider between the two different uh, lanes... Uh, you wouldn't be able to probably drive as fast, and if you did, it would be perilous. And so actually the restriction of the, the barrier actually allows you to go faster. We know restrictions can actually bring freedom. I think it's just important that we understand the power of obedience. Because on the, well, there's two sides of this, because don't go too far now. Uh, now some of you, I don't know, some of you are like, either A, you're, you're, you're not liking this part, and you're bucking against it even now. Some of you are pumped and like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's obey. Give me something, I'll obey, I'll do it, we'll do it. We can obey. But if we go too far with obedience, we get in trouble as well. That's where the, that's where the other peril is here. Is we, the, the, the second thing we have to learn, and I'll help, I have a little outlet here. It's supposed to help you kind of visualize the power of obedience, right? The power, it's an outlet. It looks like a face, really. Uh, but the second point is obedience is not enough. That if we simply just obey, we will not, we'll, we'll run low on battery. We will not be able to do quite enough. We'll never be able to obey enough. We'll never be able to achieve those standards. Right. And the other thing we have to learn is the power of trust. I, I use the word trust. It's a, it's a, it just means the word faith. But faith uh, with connotation can sometimes make us think of believing. Faith means trust. Faith is the idea of trust. The word pistis in Greece means trust. And so it's not just the power of obedience, but it's the power of trust. It's the power of do we really trust in God? But that can create two different ends. One end, and this is kind of popular in, in Christianity today, um, and none of them are, neither of them are in the Bible, but one of them is if we're on the side of obedience, uh, we can kind of say, okay, God uh, helps those who help themselves. Uh, basically, if you want it, you've got to get it done. And what that can promote is activism. It can promote self-reliance, and it can promote arrogance, uh, that I'm going to achieve this salvation on my own. The other side of it is to be on the just, you don't need to do anything. Just be at home and sit and wait, you know, and trust in God. You know, let go and, and let God, right? We know that one. Let go and let God. Basically, 
it's not a, a bad idea, but what it can promote is passivism. It can promote passivism of I'm not going to really get to work here. I don't really need to obey. I just need to wait for God to inspire something in me, and then I'll get going. And then I'll do it because uh, then I'll have felt it, and then I'll be, have been from God. But both are in danger of corrupting our sense of what salvation really is. And I don't know about you, but this is kind of the cycle I think most of us get into. And it may look different with slight variances, but it is some of us, we realize where we are. Perhaps, you know, we, we, if we, and this is, by the way, this text is for those who, who have actually, who have salvation. If you've not decided to, you know, make Jesus Lord of your life to repent and be baptized, this is, this is all potentially in play for you. But for those who have been baptized, those who have repented, those who have made Jesus Lord of their lives, then the, the issue, I think, is that we realize that we're probably not making uh, the, the, the goal like we want to, or we're not you know, up to snuff like we want to. And so we, oh, I better, I better obey. I better get it done. I better go to midweek, and I better be at church, and I better read my Bible this week, and then things are going to start to look up for me. But then what happens is sometimes we realize, oh, I better back off. Okay, let me, pa- let me just fall back into you know, pa- passivism. Okay, let me just really let God make it clear. Okay, God didn't make it clear. Oh, or at least I can't see that God made it clear. What do I do? And that can kind of be the cycle of our lives, really, and really trying to get a sense of how does this really work? What does God really want for us? First John 5 says that God wants us to have a great assurance of salvation. Not this like, I don't know. And a lot of people walk around, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't really know how it is. I mean, my pastor says I am, but I'm not really, I'm kind of murky on the scriptures of why. Uh, you know, I had a good week, so maybe I'm good now. I had a bad week, so maybe I'm not good now. And it's just, it's just, Satan wreaks havoc on our hearts. And we get insecure and we get self-focused and we get fearful and we allow other things to drive. And I think we kind of just give up. And we only will obey when we want to. Uh, we only will uh, do anything if we feel like it. Uh, we can get really passive or we can get really active. I think as a church, honestly, we tend to be more on the passive side. Uh, my perception, okay? Most of us tend to be on the passive side. I don't think a lot of us are on the side of like, oh, I got to really obey. I got to get it done. I don't think we're on the end of like, like legalism and you know, law abiding and trying to achieve our own salvation. I think a lot of times we're on the passive side. We just kind of wait around for something to stir inside of us, but we don't really strive to obey like we should. We don't really strive to obey uh, the scriptures. We know we should do certain things and we just don't. We just don't do it. Um, and even if someone brings it up, maybe we'll then get going, but it takes a little while. Uh, but we know we should uh, be at midweek, but we still don't go. You know, we know we should read our Bible, but we still don't do it. We know we should forgive that person that we've talked about forgiving for months, but we still haven't done it. We know we should uh, strive to be at I Was Hungry because, you know, we haven't been in a year or two. We know that we should talk, get some help with our kids because, man, it's just a mess right now. And it's just there's a lot of uh, anger at home. And, but we, we know it, but we don't obey. We don't simply just obey. And I think we gotta, we got to accept that first. Before we go any further in this lesson, we have to understand the power of obedience. That we don't have to always know why. That obedience is important. That we are not Lord. We don't have to have every insight of why it goes down the way it does. But what's more important, being humble, uh, being obedient or being right in your own eyes. Uh, a lot of us really put a lot of emphasis on, on being correct or our perspective. But do we put the same emphasis on humility? We just had a whole section on humility before this. Paul is saying, listen, Jesus could have had equality with God, chose not to. Instead, he chose to become a servant. And he actually lowered himself, became obedient to death. 
even death on a cross. Did Jesus himself become obedient? And by the way, Jesus did not really quite understand why or how, but he still obeyed. And that we have to see that, we have to cherish that, and we have to be eager to obey, we have to know to obey. I am grateful that that's, that's in me, that my parents instilled that in me. And amen, like it's never gonna be perfect. Like yeah, there was some legalism and some hypocrisy that we had to deal with later on in my heart, like every kid who probably grows up being taught to obey. But that's okay, that's important, that's normal, we're human. But let's actually have the boundary and let's have the, the, the desire to teach, uh, to teach obedience as much as we can. But let's, but even with all that, and even with all that, and even if we did, even if we did obey, even, all right, Drew, I hear you. Obey. Okay, fine. I'll obey. It still won't be enough. And even if we strive to really trust in God, that still won't be enough. What's the key to harmony? What's the key to really harmonizing these two ideas and us to really be able to be grace-driven, to live lives that are propelled forward, where we are joyful, we are confident, we are excited, we are loving, we actually want to, we actually want to be together. Well, what does the passage say? The passage says at the end there that it's not just you who works it out. In the next breath, he says, this is God doing it within you. That's even more confusing. Okay, so I got to work it out. But he says, no, no, but it's God empowering you to do it. And by the way, God's not just changing your behavior. What does it say? He's changing your desires. How cool is that? Because a lot of us are like, well, I just don't want to love that person. Well, guess what? If you keep going, if you strive to really let God change you, he's going to change your will. He's going to change your desires. You're going to want to be able to forgive that person. How cool is that? And for a lot of us, I know for myself, you know, walking into a a gym before I was a disciple, you know, sadly, what was probably on my, my radar was which girls to check out and, you know, who I, how I could lust after these different girls in the gym. What's on my radar now? Like there's a temptation there still, but what's on my radar? Who can I reach out to? Who can I talk to? And amen, I still got to get to it. It's not my natural. I don't like being friendly by any means. But I go in thinking, and I even pray about it. I even pray about it. Like, God, help me to be friendly. Just be friendly to somebody in the gym. Help me to befriend a guy and talk to him. And maybe God, open it up to share my faith, you know, with this guy. That's incredible. And I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that's God changing wills, changing our desires within us. That we used to just do it for ourselves, but we can actually have our desires changed. And that's transformation. It's not just a bunch of people changing our behavior. Um, behavior is important. Behavior's, behavior gets our heart there. I don't know how many times I've been on my way to an event with a pretty stinky heart. Uh, on my way to I Was Hungry with a pretty ang- you know, frustrated, it's 8 a.m. I got you know, I, I a midweek. I don't, I'm not feeling it tonight. I, maybe I'm just not going to show. You know, I can't not show. I'm like the one who can't not show. Um, but I don't want to go. And I can have a pretty stinky heart about it. I can have a, a bitter, frustrated, selfish heart. But a lot of times my heart gets there. Afterwards, you know, I see my desires change. And I see actually a transformation from within. But what is the key? And you know what it is? It's that one clause that we said. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is what's most important here. That is what, does, that is what propels us forward. And you're thinking, how? Fear? I don't, I don't want to fear God. I, I want, God is a God of love. I don't like the idea of a fearful God, right? We don't like that idea. You know, even like Michael Scott said, would you rather be feared or loved? Which is more important? And he says, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. Um, and, you know, so perhaps with God, is that what we're going for? Just afraid of how much we love him? But there's a sense here, fear and trembling. There's an important aspect of fear and trembling. So let's just take a little bit of a deeper look into what fear actually is and what fear does. 
It's Proverbs 28, 14 says blessed, but really the Hebrew is the idea of happy. Happy is the one who always trembles before God. But whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. Hold on. How can someone who trembles before God be happy? Think about that for a second. How can someone who trembles before God be happy? I thought, I thought fear and trembling was like fright. I thought you were afraid of pain or punishment. You know, Psalm 134 says this. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. How does a God who forgives actually increase our fear of him? Think about that. How does God, when he, how does forgiveness actually increase our fear? And the idea of fear in the Bible, and a lot of translations actually change this away from fear and trembling to reverence and awe. Because that's more the idea of what's being, at the, than what's at stake here. Is the idea of, to, be, to fear something in the Bible, to fear something is to be overwhelmed by it. Uh, to fear is to be overwhelmed. To be, it's just so much that it overwhelms you, it controls you, it compels you, it fills you. It's just amazing. And when we think about whether or not we fear God in this way, whether or not we really have reverence and awe for God in this way, I think we begin to see this is the real issue at stake with our salvation. This is the real battery. This is going to be able to bring us into harmony way more than just trying to obey more or just trying to hunker down and be more faithful. It will be, do we have fear of God? Are we in awe of God? And if we think about this, 2 Corinthians 5.14 is a great way, uh, a great uh, characterization of what this means to really be feared, but to be compelled. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. So in this case, when we actually do have awe of God, when when we actually see Christ's forgiveness and we see God's grace, we actually fear him more. And we actually are more of, we're in awe of God. And this is what happens in our when we study the Bible for the first time, and for those who are going through that process, I encourage you to keep doing it. We try to just help people do what Jesus did, which is to see the magnitude of your sin. Why? Not to make you feel guilty, or at least not to stay guilty, but to help you see the magnitude of the love of God. That he loves you that much, that he's forgiven you that much, to the point where there's sins you don't even know you've done, but he still loved you. And that should overwhelm us. It should just fill us with, with awe and, and, and wonder and encouragement to the point where when you're really in awe of something or someone, obedience is quite easy. Uh, when you're in awe, when you have reverence for something or someone, trust is quite easy. Uh, and that's what we have to really dive that into our hearts. And it requires depth for all of us. It's be much easier, by the way, for me to come up here and give you the list of things to do this week. Just do it, church. Just do these things and we'll be okay here. And actually it would be easier to just go and do that. It's much harder to wrestle in our hearts with the question of, who, do, who actually are we in awe of? What actually commands our reverence more than God? Only in awe and wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ will we be able to obey, both obey and trust in complete harmony. To be able to see Jesus for who he was, to be able to, to bask in that, that forgiveness and that grace, that gives you a certain confidence, doesn't it? It gives you a certain confidence. It gives you a certain trust to be able to say, God's got me. He's already sent Jesus. 
God loves me. He's already sent his son. God, God's going to forgive, and it allows you to be able to easily trust when you really see Jesus. But we don't really want to see Jesus. I was getting with this couple recently, and, and I, we kept looking at scriptures about Jesus. And after every scripture, um, they just went back to bickering about their issues. And we couldn't stay on Jesus for like three seconds without getting back to the fighting. And I was just trying, I was like, guys, we've got to take our eyes off ourselves, and we've got to put our eyes on Jesus just for a second here. Can we just begin to take our eyes off ourselves and focus them on Christ? If we can take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on Jesus, then everything gets a heck of a lot easier. We're able to obey. We actually want to obey. We actually want to go for it. We want to live. We want to love. And it never gets old. You'd think that reading about Jesus for a long time, I actually thought this in my young age. This is kind of funny, but only because it's so embarrassing. I told my mom when I was 17 that I didn't want to read my Bible anymore because I didn't want to peak too soon. I said, I said, I'm learning so much, mom, that if I keep reading, I'm going to learn all of it too quick. And then the rest of my life is going to be boring. So I really just want to take a break here. Uh, you know, so that was, that was me. And my mom had some choice words. Uh, I was 17, so there was no spanking, but it's still, still some choice words there from my mom on, on humility. Uh, my mom's great with humility, by the way. I was studying for a test when I was in second or third grade. My mom asked me if I was prepared, and I was playing video games, and I said, yeah, I'm prepared. And um, I took the test, and I got a B minus, and my mom said, she looked at the test, and there was a lot of um, dumb mistakes, just, you know, decimals and things, and zeros not in the right place. And my mom said, you you weren't prepared. Uh, You you lied to me, uh, and you were prideful. Um, And so I remember getting a spanking. And so I told this story for years, and my mom gave me a spanking for getting a B minus. And she always responded, no, I gave you a spanking because you were prideful. And uh, I was like, amen, fair enough. But it's still kind of a spanking for a B minus, which is uh, not cool. But this, this idea, I have no idea where I, was, where I came from, but it's the idea of, are we really in awe of God? And that's not an easy thing. I thought about today, what practicals can I give to be in awe of God? That's a tough one, right? I mean, I could give some ones, but I think what we really have to start doing is take a look at what the Philippians did and go from there. A challenge. When you read this passage, how did you interpret it? Did you interpret it individually? Oh, I have to start being obedient. I have to start working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I have to do all this myself. Did you do that? Because I did. But this whole section, going back to chapter 1, is not in the second person singular. It's in the second person plural. This is not you work it out, Sylvia. This is you all work it out, Blue Ridge Church. Philippian church, you all work it out. This is communal. It's an individual challenge with a communal significance. And this is all of us. And so there's no challenge, by the way, this week to go do it by yourself. I know there are times when it's good to be alone with God, but let's go after this communally. Let's share it. Let's share about how our quiet times went. Every time that we share with somebody, hey, I had a Sabbath quiet time on Saturday and I learned something new about God. I saw something in my heart I hadn't seen before. Let me share it with you. Let's go after this together. Let's not, and let's also not just think about ourselves and my own salvation. Let's think, no, how's the salvation of the whole church? How are we all doing? How can we help each other? And that is difficult because everything that we eat, sleep, and drink out in the world is individual. Yeah. Nothing's communal out there. Like this, this whole idea of being communal, being together, and being on each other, and calling each other, and texting each other, and praying for each other, we need that. Yeah. It's crucial. We need each other. This is, all, this is all this idea of work it all out together. Share it together. You know, we're going to have a chance to close out with singing a song that I hope will begin the process of us being in awe of God. We're going to sing a song, 
and look at what, how, and to, as we sing, to think through, how, am I really in awe of God? And the question I want to ask today as we, as we close out is simply this. We talked about when you're in awe of something or someone, that constrains you, right? It compels you. It drives you. When we're in awe of God, when we revere God, he controls us. I mean, it's just like, I, I want to do these things. I'm compelled. The question is, what controls and motivates you the most? What controls and motivates you the most? What or who overwhelms you? What compels us? Is it a desire for success? Is that what controls you? A desire to prove yourself? Is it anger? Is it fear? A lot of times we're driven by the wrong kind of fear. We're driven by fear that we won't be in control. Fear that we'll get hurt. Fear that we'll lose something. Fear that we won't be accepted. We won't be as happy as we, we think we deserve to be. There's, that other fear drives us more than a fear of God. Uh, an over, a feeling of being overwhelmed with God. What controls and, mot- and motivates you the most? This is one of my very favorite songs. And this picture here, I think... Whenever we get a chance this week, I want, to, I want us to, each, of, each of us to be able to go to a place that increases your awe of God. Could be geographic, could be a place like this, could be a place outdoors, it could be the place where you first studied the Bible, it could be a place where you had a great conversation with somebody, it could be your backyard, I don't know. But go to a place this week that increases your awe of God. Whenever, I love to go outside and pray because it always just punches my excuses in the face. I look at a tree and I go, man, that tree's older than me. That tree's seen more than I have. You know, plants, this whole ecosystem is more delicate and more uh, intricate, more complex than I could ever imagine. And God's got it all there. God's balanced it. God's taking care of it. God's got the hairs on my, I'm okay. It's going to be fine. I can trust now. And actually seeing God's creation in Romans chapter one, Paul says, this is kind of the second gospel. Nature is God's second gospel. Uh, we have the Gospels in the Bible. We have the story of Jesus, but this is it. This beauty that we have around us. And as we sing How Great Thou Art, I want us to really think of the words. I'm going to read the lyrics here, and we'll close out with this. O oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And I'm going to skip down a little bit. And when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden Gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and lead me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Let's realize the harmony of all. Let's sing this song together and let's go after seeing in our lives Uh, the ability of God to be able to change everything if we simply uh, revere him and stand in awe of him. Amen. To God be the glory.